Hey, are you guys enjoying this spooky season series? I hope that you are, although if I can be honest with you, that's probably going to end today. This is probably going to be the last point that you enjoy this series. Um, And the reason that I say that is because last week, you know, we talked about the scariest character in the Bible, the scariest person. We talked about the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, old pointy tail, you know, we talked about him. But today we're going to go in a similar, slightly related direction. We're going to talk about the scariest verse in the entire Bible, like the scariest thing that's written anywhere in this giant book. And when we think about the scariest verse that's written in the Bible, probably we think it's going to have some Something to do with the devil or the demonic, right? It's at least got to talk about darkness and evil and all that sort of stuff. But surprisingly, the scariest thing that's said in the Bible is not said by Satan. It's said by Jesus himself. Can you believe that? You might already know what I'm talking about. You might have no clue. Another interesting fact about this is that the scariest thing that's said in the scripture is actually said during the Sermon on the Mount which is like the part of the Bible that most people look at as like the nicest and the most inspiring and the best, you know? And right in the middle, we have this weird juxtaposition where Jesus is talking to us about what it means to live as people of the light, to serve him, to make the world a better place. You know, this is where we get like, um, like do unto others and like give somebody the shirt off your back. It all comes from this place. And yet in the middle of it, Jesus says something that is so shocking, something that is so terrifying, frankly, that you're just like, I don't know, did this end up in the wrong part of the Bible? Rather than hyping up his words too much, what I want to do is I just want to read them for you because I think you'll see why this is such a scary passage when you actually hear the words that Christ spoke in Matthew chapter number seven, verses 21 to 23. Jesus says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who refuse God's rule. All right, we're going to come back to this passage in just a moment, but I want to tell you a story first, okay? A couple weeks ago, Amber and I came across a coupon online that granted us free tickets to go up the gondola in Banff. You know what I'm talking about, Sulphur Mountain Gondola? If you've never done it, like I run into people all the time that are like, yeah, I've lived in Calgary my whole life, but I've never actually gone up the gondola because I'm not sure if it's worth it. It is. It's totally worth it, okay? You get some of the best views in the entire region, and you don't have to hike for them. Hello, that's what I'm talking about. High reward, little effort. I'm all about it. And getting free tickets was super good because it's normally pretty expensive. For Amber and I to get two adult tickets to go on that gondola, it would have cost us 150 bucks. So when we saw a free coupon code online, we were like, yes, sign us up. Date day, we're going to the mountains. So we jumped online, we bought two tickets, and we got our confirmation, got our tickets in the mail and everything. Now, apparently what had happened was that somebody had gotten like a refund or somebody had gotten like some sort of like um, freebie from the people who run the Banff gondola. And they said, here's a coupon code, maybe it's a rain check or something. Here's a coupon code that will let you get your free tickets. And that person was like, I wonder if this coupon will work for other people. So they gave it to like their sister and their sister typed it in and ching, she got free tickets as well. And so then they just started sharing it in every Facebook group on Instagram. So people all over the city of Calgary we're signing up for free tickets using this free coupon code, including Amber and I, okay? 
So when the people who run the gondola saw what was happening, they're like, oh, we're in trouble, okay? Like, there are 1.5 million people in this city, and like, any number of them might choose to use this coupon code and get free tickets. There's no way that we can get this many people up the gondola, and for free, that matter. So they said, we got to do something. So they canceled every ticket that had been bought using that code. And they sent an email to everybody saying, good try, but no dice, all right? Now, Amber and I were not going to take this lying down. So we, we called him up on the phone, and we were like, hey, listen, I understand this is a weird spot that you guys find yourself in, but it is not our fault that you did not put a limit on this coupon code, okay? Tell you what, why don't you let, we already have our tickets. I have a barcode that says I can have a free ride on the gondola. So why don't you let us use our ticket? You can cancel everybody else's. That's fine. I don't care. But why don't you let us take the ride up the mountain? And they were like, no, sorry, listen, we want you to understand this was a mistake. We understand it's an unfortunate situation. But if you show up tomorrow at the gondola and you try to give them this ticket, you're going to get turned away. You're not going to get to ride. And so Amber and I were frustrated. But, you know, we hadn't spent any money. We weren't, we weren't out anything. So we made other plans. We went to a different part of the mountain. Apparently, a lot of people did not get this second email from the gondola people, the one that said your ticket is canceled. And so they showed up, they had paper barcode tickets in hand or on their phone. And they walked up assuming that they had everything they would need to gain access to the top of the mountain. They assumed that everything that was required in order to gain entrance, they had. And they turned out to be sadly mistaken. It was a big mess. They all got turned away. People were mad. One star reviewing the gondola, all this stuff. I mean, it was, it was an absolute mess. Now, the reason I tell that story is because according to Jesus here in Matthew chapter number seven, there are a lot of people that assume they have a ticket to heaven. There are a lot of people that believe anything that might be required to gain entrance to the kingdom of God. Oh, of course I've already got it. When it comes time to go to heaven, of course God's going to let me in. Why wouldn't he let me in? And yet Jesus says many of those people are very unfortunately mistaken. Scary, right? This is part of the reason I say this is the scariest passage in the entire Bible because it's like, whoa, who's he talking about? Could he be talking about me? The author, Greg Morse, he wrote about this passage and he said, is anything worse than remaining lost while believing you're found? He goes on to say, sadly, many people will arrive at the gates of hell wearing their church clothes. I, I, like, I hope after he wrote that line, he went somewhere and found a microphone and just dropped it. You know what I mean? Because that's a mic drop line if I've ever heard one. Like, whoa, that is, woo. So what's going on here? Like, why would Jesus say this in Matthew chapter number seven? These words seem so super harsh. And I thought Jesus was chill and gracious and he never turned anybody away. He was accepting of everybody, right? This just doesn't compute. The people that uh, he denied entrance here in Matthew seven, they, they say all the right things. They call him Lord. They are apparently doing a lot of good things in Jesus' name. These are the exact people that should get into heaven, Right? Not only is this passage like super surprising to me, it is super scary. I call Jesus Lord and I do things in his name. Like I might not do all the things that they said they do. Like I definitely, I prophesy or preach. That's what the word means. I mean, I preach in Jesus name. I don't think I've ever cast out a demon, although a couple times with some kids, I don't know. Anyway, um, 
And, and like, I don't think I've ever worked any obvious miracles. And so this kind of freaks me out because it's like, if people with this spiritual pedigree are getting turned away at the, at the pearly gates, what does that mean for me? Like, is it possible that I could show up and on judgment day, God look at me and he's like, bro, I never knew you. See, scariest passage. Now, the good news is Jesus gives us everything we need to understand these verses. He explains it all. This all makes perfect sense in light of everything that Jesus teaches in the Gospels. His words are not mean. They're not arbitrary. They're not even judgmental. They are perfectly in keeping with the fact that the Bible teaches that we are saved by God's grace and mercy alone and not because of our hard work or righteousness. You realize that, right? Like we are saved because God loves us, not because we're great people. Some of us might be, but it turns out that's not even going to be enough. So what's really going on here in this passage? How could it be that these church all-stars in Matthew chapter number seven got it wrong? And then how do we avoid the same fate that they experienced? Well, I want to start with acknowledging the fact that Jesus describes judgment day in these verses. He presents judgment day as a fact. According to Jesus, there will be a judgment day. All of us will stand before him someday and give an account of our life. Now, this is not going to be an ambush, okay? He's plainly told us that judgment day is coming in this passage and in many others throughout the Bible. So it's not like any of us are going to show up and we're like, I didn't know there was a final exam. Nobody told me. Jesus is like, no, I warned you guys many times. We might choose to ignore what he says regarding judgment day because we don't like the thought of judgment day, but just because we don't like it doesn't mean that it's not a reality. Jesus says there will be a judgment day. So what I want to do for a moment is, like, let's just pretend that today is judgment day. I, I don't have any, like, special knowledge that it is judgment day, so that's good news. Um, but let's pretend for a moment that it is judgment day, and we are standing before God at the entrance to heaven. And he looks at us, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? On what basis do you deserve to get in? Show me your ticket. <laughs> let me see the ticket that you think is going to get you into heaven. If God asked us that question, most of us would start racking our brain for like any good thing we ever did in life. You know what I mean? We would start listing every single time we gave a loony to a homeless person. We're like, Jesus, look at how generous I am, man. I gave them a coin every single time they asked. We might, uh, we might uh, point out the time in high school that that girl was getting bullied and we knew that was wrong. And so we didn't participate. I mean, we didn't stop it or anything, but like we didn't join in. We didn't participate. We would, we would be like, Jesus, I always recycled. Like, that was just me, man. I care about your planet. You with me? Um, we might say, like, Jesus, when it came time for me to get a new pet, oh, yeah, I did it. Adopt, don't shop. That was me. I did the right thing. I didn't support any breeders. I didn't spend thousands of dollars on a dog. We might say, Jesus, when it came time to go to the polls, I always voted conservative. Or I never voted conservative, like depending on which way we think God would want us to vote, okay? We would list out all the stuff that we've done that might paint us in a good light and justify us getting access to heaven. In short, on judgment day, most of us will try to rely on our resume. We're going to show him all the good stuff we did and believe that's enough to gain entry. 
This is precisely what the people in Matthew chapter 7 do. They know the right language. They call him Lord, Lord a couple of different times, and they have been busy doing all the right things. So as they stand before God, they point to their resume. They're like, look at all the things that I did for you during my time here on earth. And listen, it's important to realize that when they point out their resume and they're like, look at the times that I preached in your name and I cast out demons and I worked miracles, Jesus never contradicts them. He never denies that they did these things. He's not like, no, you didn't. You never did any of those things. Like you lied to your grandmama about doing those things, but I know you didn't actually do it. He doesn't do that. In fact, it almost seems like they're right. They did all of these things. They've said the right words. They've done the right things. Jesus also didn't look at them when they present their spiritual resume, he didn't also look at them and say like, okay, yes, I mean, you did preach in my name and you cast out some demons and worked some miracles, but there was that time you stole money from the register at work and you hated your sister and you gossiped about your friends and there are all these other sins. And so we're gonna put them in the balance, guys, and we'll see how everything weighs out. And when we do, it turns out, oh, your bad outweighs your good. Therefore, turn away. You're going to the other place. No entrance into heaven for you. He doesn't say that either. What's crazy is that when they start waving their resume around, Jesus ignores their resume completely. He doesn't give any thought or consideration to the stuff that they say they've been doing their whole life. He doesn't engage with their behavior. Instead, he says the reason that they are rejected is because, quote, I never knew you. Those are the words. That's the standard. That's the question that's going to be asked on the final judgment day. This is so important. According to Jesus, we won't be judged based on our resume, but on our relationship. We're not going to be judged based on our resume. We're going to be judged based on our relationship. Did we know Christ and did Christ actually know us? The most important question in life is not what have you done, but are you known? Are you known? The fatal mistake that the people in this passage made was that they assumed that they knew Jesus and they assumed that he knew them. But as it turns out, that was untrue. Now, um, if you pay close attention to these people and like this interaction on judgment day between these Christians and Jesus, you can actually pick up a lot of clues here. You can learn a lot about what's really going on. So I want to highlight a couple of these things for you this morning. If you pay really close attention, you'll see their problem becomes clear. They, first of all, had proximity, but no intimacy. They had proximity. They were near Jesus. They were around the things of Jesus. They certainly knew a lot about Jesus, but there was, it's clear that there was something missing. They didn't actually know Jesus himself. Despite the fact that they were swimming in Christian culture and they knew all the language and they even did some of the right things, there was still something that was missing and it was that Jesus never knew them. He never knew them. And if we're not careful, we can make the same mistake, you guys. We can think that because we come to church or because our mom is so spiritual, or because we listen to worship music while we're working out, we can think that that proximity is the same thing as intimacy, and it's not. We can think that simply because we're near Jesus or the things of Jesus, that we have Jesus, and that is a sad mistake to make. This is what these poor folks in, in uh, Matthew 7 are doing. Don't be fooled. Being near Jesus is not the same as being known by Jesus. So we see first they had proximity, but they didn't actually have intimacy. That was a major problem. Second, we see that the people in this passage, they have plenty of activity, but no real ministry. 
Like they're doing the right things. They're serving in Jesus' name, but it's not real ministry. I want you to pay close attention. Let's put Matthew 7 back on the screen here. I want you to pay close attention to the, to the order of the way things happen in this judgment day um, parable here. Because we might read this and, and think, okay, so on judgment day, these people show up and Jesus looks them up and down and he's like, nope, not you guys, right? You're not part of the elect or I don't like you or you did wrong, you know, whatever, okay? And so you're out. And then they pull out their resume and they're like, but wait, Jesus, I mean, we called you Lord and we did all of these wonderful things in your name. Surely you're not going to kick us out. And he's like, nope, sorry, I never knew you. Get out of here. But that's not actually the order if you pay close attention. The order is, it's like they show up on judgment day and before the judge even gets a word out, they're already waving their resume around. You with me? They're like, Jesus, look at all this cool stuff we did for you. Jesus, like, look at all the things we accomplished in your name. It's almost like they're saying to him, aren't you lucky that you had us on your side? We could have been playing for the other team, but no, we're with you. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, you guys. You've totally misunderstood the assignment. I'm not concerned about your resume. I'm concerned about your relationship. It's not about what you did. It's about what's been done for you. And if you pay really close, I mean, just the way that this is laid out, it almost seems like the, the motive that they had for doing any of these things was not to give glory to Jesus. Instead, it was to receive glory themselves. They were so proud of themselves after everything that they had done. So check this now. On Judgment Day, Jesus is not focused on their resume. He's focused on their relationship. And this is where you and I should be focused as well. How is my relationship with Christ? What's it based on? Is it based on what I've done for him or what he has done for me? That is a very important question. Now, in verse 21, Jesus says, the ones who are accepted by God are the ones who, quote, do the will of my Father in heaven. What does he mean there, right? Because we know from Ephesians 2 that salvation is not based on works, right? We don't earn our salvation based on good things that we do. So how can Jesus say then the only people who are getting into heaven are the ones who do the will of the Father? Well, thankfully, he spells it out for us in John chapter 6, verse 29. He makes it super clear. He's talking to a crowd of people, and he says to this crowd, the only work God wants from you is to put your faith in the one he has sent. The only work God wants you to do. He doesn't say, hey, you better preach every chance you get. He doesn't say, you better say no to temptation every single time. He doesn't say, you better accomplish mighty deeds and miraculous ministry. And the only work that God wants from me and you is to put your faith, to believe, to trust, in the one that he sent. The apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Maybe the problem with these people in Matthew 7 was like they confessed with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, but they never really believed. They had the confession, but they didn't have the actual belief in Christ. That could have been their problem because Paul says all it takes, the only work that Jesus wants from anybody, or that God wants from anybody rather, is to put their trust in Jesus, the one who came to reveal God to us. This is what so many people get wrong. It's like they're taking the wrong test. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it would be like, um, maybe, maybe I'm going to go compete 
in the hurdles in the Olympics, okay? So I want you to imagine me in the short shorts, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the... Anyway, I'm going to do the 100-meter hurdles, okay? And some of y'all have never seen me in shorts in my entire life because I'm the whitest man alive. Anyway, okay. So, like, I, you know what I'm saying? They've got all the hurdles that are set up, and I'm at the start of the race. But before they fire the gun, I pull out my phone, and I walk over to the judges, and I show them the most beautiful photograph I've ever taken. And I'm like, guys, isn't this picture pretty? Like, look at how well I captured the mountains. And you see that little deer over there on the side? Like, this is a gorgeous photo. I think I deserve a gold medal for this picture. They would be like, bro, this is the hurdles, not a photography competition, okay? You're competing for the wrong things. You're trying to get judged on the wrong test. Nobody cares whether or not you took a good photo. We care whether you can jump over these sticks, There are a lot of people that are going to show up on Judgment Day, and they're taking the wrong test. They think that Judgment Day is going to be a reckoning of all the good and the bad they did. And when they show up with their resume, Jesus is going to say, you missed the assignment. That's not what I was asking for. The only thing that matters now is whether you have placed your faith in Jesus. So I want to wrap up our time together with just a a few questions for reflection. Yeah, I've only been talking for 20 minutes, and I'm already wrapping it up. We're going to land the plane early because this is important. We want to keep it simple and direct, okay? Questions for reflection. You're going to answer these questions between you and God. You're not going to say them out loud. You're not going to turn to your neighbor or anything like that. Question number one is this. On what level do I know Jesus? On what level do I know Jesus? Because clearly in Matthew 7, there are people that know Jesus on some level, but they don't know him on the right level. So we want to be sure that we don't just know Jesus on some level, superficially speaking, but that we know Jesus on the level that apparently really matters. Do I simply know about him or do I know him personally? A lot of people kind of have like an Instagram type relationship with Jesus. I don't don't know if any of you follow celebrities on Instagram. It's kind of one of the weirdest things in the world to follow a famous person because like you get to see inside of their lives. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll show you pictures of like their house that they live in, which is a super bad idea. I don't know why people don't tell them like don't post your house on social media, but they do. They'll post their kids and like the vacations that they take. And you'll see photos and videos of them in the bathroom. And you're like, what are you even doing? When you follow a celebrity on social media, you can learn a lot about them, but you don't actually know them, do you? Like, can you imagine if you followed a Kardashian or something online, uh, you know, on social media, and you just, you know everything there is to know because of social and TV shows and all that stuff. You feel like you know these people. So you're like, all right, I looked your address up on Google. I'm going to go hang out. So you roll up at the front door, and you're like, hi, we're friends online. I follow you. They're going to be like, uh, hello, please. I have a creep at my door. Come quick. <laughs> Because just because you know about them doesn't mean that you actually know them. There's a difference. There are a lot of people that are following Jesus from a distance. It's like, yeah, I know a lot about him. I I grew up in church. I could tell you all the stories. I know a lot of stuff he said. Like, yeah, I know about him, but they don't actually know him. And my fear is that some of you have that kind of relationship with Jesus. You could tell me about Jesus all day long, but you don't know him. That's the final question on the test. Do you know him? Does he know you? Perhaps um, you you and Jesus, you share a mutual friend, and that's kind of how you know him, right? Like if somebody sends me a friend request, no lie, the first thing I do is I go look for mutual friends. I'm like, how do you know me? Like, is this a scam? Are you trying to rope me into your MLM? Like, what's going on here, okay? 
If you're in an MLM, don't send me an email. I'm only kidding. <laughs> but I want to know. I want to know, how, were, how did this connection come about? And there are a lot of people that have that type of second-level relationship with Jesus. They have a mutual friend. It's like, oh, yeah, my sister really knows Jesus. And so, yeah, I, I guess I kind of know Jesus, too, by extension, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, I went to a Christian school, and all of them seemed to know Jesus. So I, I guess I kind of know Jesus because of a mutual friend. Of course, on Judgment Day, Jesus isn't going to be asking, did your sister know me? <laughs> He's not going to say, did your classmates know me? He's going to say, did you know me? Did I know you? Did we have a personal relationship? A lot of us, the answer is going to be no. Maybe you have what the kids call a dip and dap relation or dap and dip relationship with Jesus, you know, where um, I don't know if you have these kind of people. I've got a few friends like this where I see them. Sometimes like it's out, you know, in the community or like from some event or something that I've done. And I know them and they know me. And it would be weird not to say hi, but also we don't have anything else to talk about whatsoever. So it's like, oh, hey, man, good to see you. How you doing? We shake hands, you know, we bump fists, whatever. It's like, you doing good? Yeah, me too. And then it's like, okay, we're out of stuff to talk about. So good to see you, man. We'll, we'll talk to you later. And you roll off the, the, the other direction. There are a lot of people that have a dap and dip relationship with Jesus. Like, hey, buddy, good to see you this Sunday. I'm going to go this way with my life, though. You with me? We have kind of this a general acquaintance. We might come across Christ every so often in our life or our family or whatever. But as soon as we see him, we're like, all right, we'll talk to you later. And we go the other way. On what level do I really know Jesus? The one that's going to matter is the personal relationship in which you say, he is my Lord. He is my Savior. I don't just know about Jesus, but I know him. And I know that Jesus knows me. I'm not a stranger to him. We actually have been, we've been tight, close, following each other for a long time. Second question I'll ask is this. On what basis would I get into heaven? Now, look, I want to be really clear here. There's nothing in the Bible that ever says, like, one day you're going to be at the pearly gates and St. Peter's going to be there or God or somebody, and he's going to be like, why should you get in? Like, there's a heavenly bouncer, okay? Like, there is nothing in the scripture that says this. However, I don't think it's too out of bounds to just kind of put ourselves in this imaginary scenario. If you were standing before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? On what basis should you get in? Show me your ticket. What are you going to say to him? You might start to pull out your resume, all the good things, all the times you went to church, everything you tried to do in his name. But can I tell you guys, when I get to heaven, I am not going to pull out my resume in front of God and say, let me in because I've been going to church 52 Sundays a year for 52 years. Like I've proven I deserved it. I sat through a lot of boring church services, God, let me in. I'm not gonna say, of course I'm getting in. I'm a pastor. Like, I'm a, I'm a church planter. God, you realize I left Florida and I went to Calgary? If that doesn't merit entrance, I don't know what does. I'm not going to say, hey, hey, God, here's why you should let me in. Did you know that guy that you let in like three people ahead of me? His name was, was Kyle Johnson. I don't know where Kyle went. I was going to point him out. But anyway, his, his name's Kyle Johnson. He's here because of me. It was like my ministry, my preaching that won him. I said something so funny, so clever, so convicting that he put his faith in Jesus. And so now I'm not going to do any of that. If I can be real, and I, I like, this is sincere. If I stand before God and he says, Dan, why should I let you into heaven? Why do you deserve 
the kingdom of God, my answer is going to be, I don't. I don't, God. If you piled up all my good on one side and all the bad on the other, I know how the scales are going to balance out. I don't care whether you're measuring quantity or quality. I know how it's going to turn out. It's the same both ways. I am hyper aware of how many selfish, sinful things I do every single day. And I can guarantee you it's a whole lot more than the selfless and holy things that I happen to do during the day. So when I show up to heaven, I'm not going to pull out my resume. I'm going to pull out the resume of my King and Savior, Jesus, and I'm going to say, if I'm getting in, it's because of him. He's the one that merits entrance. And I'm here because of him. If I'm getting in, I'm getting in on his merit, not my own. Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. It's not somebody who does the right thing all the time and has their life all together. No, it is somebody who acknowledges they don't have it all together. And they need a savior, one who can stand in the gap and make up for what they lack so that they can have a relationship with God, so that they can have an eternity with him. That is my basis. He is my entrance ticket into heaven. We have this amazing illustration of this in, in Luke chapter number 23. Oh, it is like one of the best stories in the Bible. Luke 23 is the telling of the crucifixion of Jesus. And um, in, in Luke 23, we read, of course, that like, I, I don't know how else to describe this, except like it was execution day in the Roman Empire. Like they were just killing everybody that they didn't like. And so when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, the Bible tells us he was not the only one crucified. Did you know this? That there were two thieves. Like these were like common petty thieves and they got the death penalty for stealing stuff. All right. Anyway, the Bible says here in Luke 23 that Jesus is put on a cross and then on either side of him are two criminals who are also sentenced to die on that day. We read in verse 39, this is not on the screen. You're just going to have to listen here to these words. Luke 23, 39, Jesus is on the cross. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, how stupid are you? Don't you fear God? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. So the one criminal, the second one, he says to Jesus in verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, what are you talking about, fool? You spent your whole life stealing, selfish, breaking every commandment. You're not getting into heaven. I promise you that, sucker. I made that up. He said, I know. Scared there for a minute. Jesus said to the man, he said, the man said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, bro. There's not a single person in this city that would say you, of all people, deserve entrance into the kingdom of God. But I tell you the truth, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. When that thief died, you know, you close your eyes one minute here on earth and the very next instant you open them in eternity. When he opened his eyes in eternity and he stood before God, the God that he had denied and rejected and, you know, blasphemed and disobeyed and all of these different things. When he stood before him, if the father looked at this thief and he said, by what right should I let you in? 
On what basis do you deserve admittance into the kingdom of God? I just can only believe that that thief said, I don't know, but the guy on the middle cross told me I could come in. On judgment day, I'm going to say, God, I know I don't deserve it, but the guy on the middle cross told me I could come in because I put my faith in him, because I had a relationship with him. Because you said in your word, Lord, the only thing you wanted was for me to put my faith, my trust, my belief, my confidence in the one that you sent. And I know I didn't get it right. I know my resume isn't good enough, but his is. And I trust him and I love him as my Lord and Savior. Matthew 7, you guys, is a scary, or this part of Matthew 7 is a scary section of the Bible. I had a conversation with somebody outside after the first service, and, and we were talking about, like, how uncomfortable these words make us. And, I, you know, both of us were kind of like, yeah, I wish he hadn't said that. But it's a darn good thing he did. Because if he didn't, many of us might be bebopping our way along, assuming we've got a good ticket only to find out when we get there, we've been taking the wrong test. We've been pre preparing for the wrong question. And I don't want you, I don't want anybody in the city of Calgary to make this same mistake. It is not about your resume. It's all about your relationship. Now, the reason this is such good news is that you don't have to be a spiritual all-star in order to know God or to get to heaven. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a, a perfect church girl or the best church guy. You just don't have to be those things. All you need to do is to start a relationship with Jesus. And look, yes, of course, God wants to change you over time. He wants to make you more like Jesus as time goes on. But that is not, don't get the cart before the horse. We start with a relationship and then we work on serving him with our actions. The other reason it's good news is that there are many of you that are believers, you're Christians, you genuinely are, and you've been doing this for a long time. And honestly, you just feel the weight of failing to measure up day in and day out. It's like you keep making the same mistakes, you keep feeling like you're failing, and you're like, at some point, God is gonna write me off because of all the bad things that I've done. Do you realize that mistake is the equal and opposite of the mistake the other people were making? Like God's gonna accept me because of all the good I've done. That's not true. And God will not write us off because of the bad that we've done either. We are accepted not based on our resume. We are rejected not based on our resume, but we are accepted or rejected based on our relationship with Jesus. And come on, you guys, that's genuinely good news. So I wanna pray for you. And I just believe there's somebody here today and you're like, look, I've been relying on my resume or that was my plan and I, I know that is not going to work. So today I wanna to start a relationship with Jesus. And it begins with a prayer. That's all you have to do is just pray. It's the start of a relationship. So every head bowed, every eye closed. And I'm just gonna say some words. And if you feel like, hey, this is my time, I'm making this relationship decision with Jesus today, you can repeat these words after me. Jesus, today I begin a relationship with you. I accept your resume instead of relying on my own. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me, and Lord, for the promise that I have new life in you. I pray this in your name. Amen.
Hey guys, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, you've taken your first steps in your relationship with Jesus. It's the beginning point that all of us have made in our walk with God. And Kyle's gonna be up in just a moment to, to kind of speak with you about what comes next after you make that first decision. But regardless, don't spend your life preparing for the wrong final exam. Don't worry about trying to get a resume that will impress God because none of our resumes are all that impressive, frankly. Instead, focus on your relationship with Jesus. And when the time comes, you won't face judgment day with fear, but with faith. 